What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and this is another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? Ethan, how's it going, man? Trying to shake back after last night's late night, but today I wanted to get into the Cavs' next matchup against the Jazz. We all know the blockbuster trade that brought Donovan Mitchell to Cleveland just a couple summers ago. This will be Donovan's third time facing his former team. Have you had conversations with him previously about what it means to him to play against the Jazz? Yeah, I have, Ethan. And I think the reality of the situation is every time Donovan plays against the Jazz, whether it's here in Cleveland or it's in Salt Lake City, emotions are going to be attached to that game because he's always going to have some kind of tie to the Utah Jazz organization. No matter where he goes for the remainder of his career, no matter what he accomplishes for the remainder of his career, there's always going to be significance of his time in Utah. It's the organization that gave him his start. It's where he became an NBA All-Star for the first time. It's where he got to the playoffs for the first time in his career. So he's always going to be tied to that organization. And there are always going to be those kinds of Utah-related memories every time he plays against the Jazz. And think about it, Ethan. Even to this day with the Cavs, he has talked about what his time in Utah meant for him to become the player that he is today. He's talked about Joe Ingles and the influence that Ingles has had on his career. He's talked about the relationships that he built while he was in Utah. He's talked about the things that he learned from Mike Conley, the pick and roll pairing that he built with Rudy Gobert and learning the nuances of the pick and roll and how he has translated that into his pick and roll with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley and all that kind of stuff. So you cannot tell the story of Donovan Mitchell's career, no matter what happens moving forward, without including his start in Utah and how important that was to him becoming the player that he is right now. And Donovan even mentioned on Monday after the game, after Sam Merrill had his career-high 19 points against the Houston Rockets, that Donovan had actually played against Sam before as he was on Utah and Sam was on Utah State. So it's crazy to think about how this league is so intertwined, but you don't really know with people who you're going to play, who are going to come up and be parts of your life, parts of your team, parts of your game in a sense that you're learning from them and also trying to compete with them at the highest level. And you know what's hilarious too about that story of Donovan Mitchell and Sam Merrill? Of course, at that time, Donovan was in the NBA. He was playing for the Utah Jazz. Sam Merrill was in college playing at Utah State, and yet they're both 27 years old. So it tells you just how long Donovan was with the Utah Jazz and how long he's been in the NBA compared to somebody like Sam, even though they're the same age. Yeah, and they're both in very different parts of their career, very two different play styles and things like that. And speaking of different play styles, on the other side, the Jazz have a couple former Cavs players themselves including Colin Sexton and Laurie Markkinen. It's wild to think about how nice it would be to still have those guys on the roster, especially with Darius Garland and Evan Mobley right now being out for the Cavs. And Laurie has been rumored to be on the trade market yet again. Could the Cavs potentially get in on these trade talks, or do you think He's been a starter too long to be resorted to a bench role, hypothetically speaking, when Evan Mobley would return to the lineup. Or 
do you think is just too much on the Cavs' pockets at this time? I want to discuss that with you in further detail, but I have a question for you first. I'm going to turn it around on you. Do you think the Cavs should have any regrets about the decision that they made a couple summers ago to give up everything that they gave up in order to trade for Donovan Mitchell? I think this roster, when healthy, has the potential to at least make it to the second round of the playoffs, which is what the goal is for this team, to go from good to great. So my answer would be no, because I feel like the pieces that they have in Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland in the backcourt, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen in the front court, Max Struess as the primary shooter, George Niang as a backup shooter, Sam Merrill as a backup shooter. It seems like you have all of the pieces you need for a potential contender, but this team is still learning how to mesh together, learning where everybody wants the ball, where the team fits in, and things of that nature. So I don't think the trade is the bad thing, because I think Evan Mobley brings more to the table than Laurie Markkinen does on the defensive end. I think Jared Allen also brings more on the defensive end for this defensive-minded team than Laurie Markkinen. Do I think the Cavs would benefit from having the offense of Laurie Markkinen? Sure, but you counteract that with, are you going to take shots from Donovan Mitchell? Are you going to take shots from Darius Garland? Are you going to take shots from Max Struess? And those are all questions like, I think the Cavs are starting to get into the phase of, we're going to work inside out. You're going to feed the big man in the post, run out high screen, and then dish out to the open man, either running around and getting an open three-point on the screen, or having somebody drive into the lane and have kickouts, or have Jared Allen be sitting in the paint and being able to dish out to a shooter from that area. Whenever. It feels like this team is coming into its own and finding out what the identity and what the roles are. They just haven't had the opportunity to do it on a consistent basis with all the injuries that have happened. So I don't think that the Cavs should regret the trades that they made. Maybe they gave up too many picks, but that would be the only thing I would say. Even I'm with you. I don't think they should regret it either because last year was one of the best regulars, no matter how it ended. And it was a terrible, disappointing end. They flamed out in the first round against the Knicks. They were outplayed. They were outcoached. And there are two parts of their story in last season. What they accomplished in the regular season, which you cannot take away from them, 51 wins, four seed in the Eastern Conference, one of the best regular seasons in the last 10 years. Donovan Mitchell being an Eastern Conference all-star starter. Donovan Mitchell being in the MVP conversation. Evan Mobley being in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. All of that stuff happened. It really did. And the Cavs looked like absolute trash in the first round playoff series against the Knicks. That happened too. But in saying that, Donovan Mitchell helped them get to that point where they crossed a threshold as an organization that they hadn't been able to without LeBron James in more than two decades. And you just can't discount that because they were so bad in one playoff series against one specific team that was a terrible matchup for them from the very beginning. And that was also without the key pieces that they had to go and get this past offseason that now can help elevate this team. And on top of that, you can't discount the fact that coming into this year, there were people around the NBA, including really, really smart executives that thought the Cavs were one of the top four teams in the Eastern Conference. And maybe they can still be one of the top four teams in the Eastern Conference. They're not Boston. They're not Milwaukee. They're not Philadelphia. But they're on that next tier 
right alongside the New York Knicks, maybe the Miami Heat, however you feel about the Orlando Magic. And that's because Donovan Mitchell has raised this organizational ceiling. And whether it ends in a championship or not, it allowed them to take the next step as an organization. It helped Darius Garland grow. It helped Evan Mobley grow. It allowed those guys to get playoff experience that they may never have gotten if Donovan didn't arrive. Those things matter. Those things can't be discounted. And on top of that, like, yeah, in a perfect world, the Cavs wouldn't have traded Lowry Markinen for Donovan Mitchell. They didn't want to trade Lowry. They liked Lowry. They valued him. But here's the thing. It's Donovan bleeping Mitchell. You have to give up something of value in order to get a player that caliber. Utah said, hey, we want Lowry. He has to be a key piece of this particular trade. If you're not going to give us Darius Garland, if you're not going to give us Evan Mobley, if you're not going to give us those kinds of players, we want Lowry. That was somebody that the Utah Jazz demanded from the Cavs in that Mitchell deal. And that's the caliber of player that it takes in order to get somebody like Donovan. And I think it has worked for the Cavs. It hasn't brought them a championship. It hasn't gotten them past the first round of the playoffs, but it allowed this organization to take a needed step. And I'm not convinced that they would have been able to take that step organically if they didn't have Donovan Mitchell. So I'm going to ask you one more time just to see where you're at. Do you think the Cavs go back and try and get Lowry back? No. Because the price tag is just too high. There's an argument, Ethan, that of the quote-unquote available players at the trade deadline, and, and who knows what's going to happen, there are teams that are playing well right now that could completely fall apart before the deadline. There are contenders right now that look themselves in the mirror and say, hey, we're actually pretenders. That could certainly happen, and the landscape when it comes to the trade market can change a little bit. I don't think it's going to shift drastically, but it can change a little bit. And there's an argument that you can make right now, Ethan, that Lowry Markinen would be the greatest difference maker of anybody that could, emphasis on could, be traded at the deadline. And the cost of getting him, somebody who is still young and has upside, but has also got an all-star on his resume and accomplished enough in his NBA career that you feel pretty good about what you're getting back in return. It's just going to be way too costly for a team like the Cavs that just doesn't have the draft capital because they used it to get Donovan Mitchell, that doesn't have young assets that they deem available or movable. So I think for the Cavs, Ethan, if they're going to improve this roster at the trade deadline, it's going to be smaller scale moves. It's going to be moves around the margins, similar to the way that they operated in free agency, because they just don't have the trade assets that a team like Utah would want in that kind of deal, because the Cavs just aren't interested in moving Darius Garland or Evan Mobley or Jared Allen. And I don't think... A guy like Jared Allen, the most expendable of those three that I just mentioned right there, is a centerpiece type player to get somebody the caliber of Markinen. Like there are conversations around the NBA that the haul for Markinen, if that's the direction that the Jazz want to go in, if a team is going to sway their minds enough, the haul for Markinen is going to be very similar to Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert that kind of trade package and the Cavs just aren't positioned to win those kinds of sweepstakes all right we're going to take a quick break but when we come back we're going to look at 
the rest of the games this month and see how the Cavs could fare heading into the new year. But before then, become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and I by subscribing to Subtext. Subtext is where you can leave your questions, and on Tuesdays, we'll answer them in our Hey Chris episodes. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from me and Chris. This isn't just our podcast, it's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we're back. The Cavs have the Pelicans, Bulls, Mavericks, and Bucks to end the year following Wednesday's matchup with the Jazz. The Cavs are on a two-game win streak at the time of recording this podcast without Darius and Evan, and the team has played as a well-oiled machine. My concern is that although we saw the Cavs be able to close out the Rockets, they still gave up a 10-point lead and were forced to overtime. Is the ability, or lack thereof, to hold leads been noticeable to you, Chris, because we see teams all around the league win by 15 to 30 points at times, but to me, there's always this feeling that if the Cavs ever get up that much, that the other team is going to go on a run at some point to make it a close game. Ethan, I just think it's the reality of life in the NBA today. 10-point leads aren't what they used to be. 15-point leads aren't what they used to be. And yeah, I mean, the Cavs have, I think, four at this point, 10-plus point blown lead losses, and you obviously don't want that. But the Pelicans have a bunch. The Heat have a bunch. The Warriors have a bunch. Boston has a bunch of those as well. The Clippers, the Suns, teams that you would consider legitimate title contenders, they've all dealt with the same kind of thing. The three-point shot, the pace of play, it all leads to more possessions throughout the course of the game. And it's just hard to sustain a high level of basketball in today's climate for 48 minutes. It's a game of runs. Everybody talks about it. It's a make or miss league. Double digit leads can be wiped away in a blink. So yeah, the Cavs have to be better when it comes to closing games. But other teams are struggling with the same kind of thing. And it's not something that I look at and say, okay, It's super alarming, and they can't reach their ultimate goal unless they fix it. And the other thing, Ethan, is like, I don't know that there's a common denominator that is leading to that. I think it's a different kind of scenario 
each time they're in that situation. Maybe their offense gets a little bit stagnant. Maybe the other team is getting open threes because sometimes there's communication breakdowns or there's disorganization. I think those types of things can be fixed throughout the course of the season and they can be improved on throughout the course of the season with more time together, with more continuity, with more chemistry, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm with you. On one hand, you don't want those things to continue. It is something that I have written about. It is something that has prevented them from getting a couple more wins along the way. But I think at some point, it's also you have to look at it and say, that's life in the NBA. It's hard to hold on to those kinds of leads. All right, Chris. With the Cavs playing bigger lineups in the Pelicans and the Bucks, do you think J.B. Bickerstaff could opt to start Tristan Thompson in one of those games to give Jared Allen some extra help inside? Or do you think it's more likely for him to stick with Dean Wade and see how much he can handle? I think the Cavs trust Dean on the defensive end of the floor, Ethan. They've had him guard on-the-ball guys. They've had him guard shooters that run around a bunch of screens. They've had him guard guys who are a little bit better in the post. And I think the Cavs will continue to trust Dean. He's not Evan Mobley, obviously. He doesn't have the same reputation as Isaac Okoro as a defender. But Dean has been a very good defensive player. And I think the Cavs will give him a chance in these kinds of matchups, just like they've given him a chance in the past. Jimmy Butler, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, DeJounte Murray, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Those are just some of the guys that Dean Wade has matched up against and at least made those guys work and made shots difficult on them. There were times against Houston, Ethan, that he was guarding Fred Van Vliet, a point guard. Dean's like a small forward slash power forward. So I just don't see JB as somebody, one, who is going to continue to shuffle his starting lineup during this stretch without Darius and Evan Mobley, because I think he wants to try and get some semblance of continuity and some semblance of a rhythm. And I think he wants to try as best he can to keep guys in a specific role going into these games so they have an understanding when they're going to play, when they're not going to play, where their shots are going to come from, and they can try and get acclimated to that new life. Beyond that, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but Jared Allen and Tristan Thompson together is a non-starter in today's NBA. It just cannot happen. There is not enough spacing. There is not enough shooting. There is way too much of the paint being clogged, and it's too much of a departure from the style that the Cavs want to play and the style that the Cavs have had been playing leading into these games coming up for the remainder of the week and the remainder of this month. I agree with you. All right, Chris, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and I by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast, it's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.